Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops, and Inprint, a literary arts nonprofit which, since 1983, conducts readings, workshops, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading and supports writers. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the United States with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. And welcome to another amazing episode, edition, episode. It's episode. Is it episode? It's episode uh, of Inkwell. Season two. Season Yay! two, episode two. <laughs> yeah. Um, my name is Lupe Mendez, and to my right is Jasmine Mendez. Partner in crime. Yes. Jasmine Mendez. Mm. Uh, it is an amazing sunny, bright day. No, I'm it's kidding. so gloomy. It's gloomy, it's but so it's so gloomy nice. today, but it's, it's a, gloomy. It's like super excited. Weather, it's the week like before Thanksgiving. Cala de Pollo yeah, weather. Yeah, it is. And uh, here in Houston. Um, we're here at the imprint house interview for the day is going to be, uh, Natalia Sylvester, um, as we cover uh, her book, uh, everyone knows you go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll actually have a conversation about the book. New work too. And, I hope. Oh, new work yes, as well. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. She just so, revealed. So we're going to share. This is an so, exclusive, exclusive interview. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, and so as we always do, uh, we give the author a quick moment to say hello. Author say, say hello. 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 Thank mm-hmm. you for having me. Yeah. For sure. That nice voice. Um, and yeah. So, so and then, yeah. you know, we'll kick it off. Um, so one of the things, you know, and I, I really like this book and all the, the, the funness of it. Um, but in reading it, one of the questions that, that I thought of, Lupe, and that I wanted to know for you, and I can share too, is... Um, this is one of those silly questions I feel like that that sometimes like you get asked when you're like in elementary school to write about like if you could meet one person from the past who would it be but really I'm actually interested like if you had like somebody in your family that could come back right and like you could talk to and ask that's questions one of the elements of, within the book is like, right yeah well that's what convert- duh, oh I'm asking it who would it be like, I don't who- I would actually, it's really creepy now that I think about it, <laughs> but I would, it probably for me would be my, my great aunt, um, my tia Maria. Um, mm. she would, so my grandmother passed away well before I was ever thought of. My mother was, I think a preteen when she passed away. Um, and so my maternal family, the De La Fuentes adopted my mom, her sister, and her brother. And so my tia Maria was the matriarch, like mm. the sister to Guadalupe de la Fuente, my grandmother. Um, but tia Maria, so in San Benito, Texas, in the valley, um, 306 Dick Dowling is the, her address. Why my are you cousin lives her in that house. Like that? No, cause she, well, that's like the house I could like find. It's the only other house I can actually find without like having to Google, <laughs> like use Google Maps. Um, but so her house, it's a shotgun house and she just always had like an old school country station playing and Hank Williams senior would be playing. And now like if she were to, I don't know if she would like to appear at my house and Hey, good looking would come on the radio. <laughs> I would freak the hell out and like run out the house. But yeah, like I would have a conversation with my aunt actually like I just was able to find out recently that, Somewhere in our family line in that time span between like the 1920s through the 40s, we had family that that during uh, Operation Wetback hmm. uh, had been like thrown onto trains and then transported to Mexico who were U.S. citizens. Yeah. And so I've, I didn't know about that particular part of history. So if there was something to talk about with my tia Maria, it would actually be like that. And then mm. what, you know, what what was life like for her as a kid uh, growing up in the valley? And what did the border look like? Yeah. yeah. And does it look like the hot mess that it is right now? Uh, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I think I would, um, I'd, I'd want my grand, my maternal grandfather to come back because he's the, the only grandparent that I never actually got to meet as like a conscious adult or person, right? Yeah. Um, my other grandparents um, 
two of whom passed just this past year. Um, so I only have one living grandparent left. Um, I, I knew, right, like as a teen, as a young adult, as, uh, as a person. Um, but my maternal grandfather, he died when I was like three, maybe I was really young. Um, and I just hear, you know, like all these stories about like who he was and stuff. I just found out last summer that he like apparently won like the lottery at some point and like what? was able to buy, yeah, was able to buy the house that like now it was my grandmother's that she, you know, lived until her death, um, and all of that. And so there's just like all these great, fascinating stories, you know, about him and, and not so good ones. I mean, you know, he was flawed as well. Um, but just never having met him and just like, he's like this figure on like my mom's altar, like that I just see. Right. And like, don't really know. And she doesn't talk a whole lot about him. I know that she was kind of like a daddy's girl, but like, she doesn't necessarily say much, tell me stories. I like what I learned about him, like winning the lottery. I learned from my uncle who was like his right hand man or whatever, like, you know, knew him the best of like all the kids. Cause my mom is a family of, she has 10 there, there were 10 siblings total. Got it. Um, and so, yeah, there were, there and was a lot of them. my mom's the oldest girl. My mom's the oldest girl. Yeah. Um, but then the oldest son was like his buddy, you know, took him everywhere. Um, and come to find out after he died that he was actually not my grandfather's biological son. And he didn't know that growing up. Um, someone else kind of just like spilled the beans. As the world at, like, turns. Yeah. Yeah. It was intense for him. He got really upset about it because in his mind he was my grandfather's biological son. And then like after my grandfather died, like someone in some, tizzy he was like he wasn't even your real dad and he was like what <laughs> like it was bite. yeah it was pretty intense and so um yeah I mean I just I would want to talk to him about because there's a school named after him in the DR in this little pueblecito this little village they named a school after him and I've gone to the school I visited we went and gave um school supplies and all of that so just like knowing you know like his life and he was like el profesor right like educators are like mean something in in our countries here it's like you're, Wait. you're just a teacher, <laughs> like, is, you know, but like in our countries, like being a teacher, like a professor is like, you know, it's a thing. Is and this so, why I have no more pencils in the house? No, there's plenty of pencils. Um, but yeah, you know, so just kind of know and knowing that like maybe like my educator gene comes from him as well. You know, I thought it always came from my dad because my dad's a teacher, but then I'm like, oh, it also runs on my mom's side. And, you know, my mom has occasionally said that I do remind her of like my grandfather in some ways. So, um yeah, it's interesting. I think I would just want to like be able to talk to him and, and learn more about his life, you know, so. Although if my aunt were to show up at my house, <laughs> like today, mm -hmm. that'd be creepy. Just cause. Well, yeah, of course. To, like okay. if she started saying like that, what I think would, cause my aunt would always sing at the top of her lungs to wake you up oh, in the goodness. morning. <laughs> With hey, good looking. Didn't we hear that song recently somewhere? We did, and it freaked me out. <laughs> and then she would pause for a really All long time. Things, yeah. And then you're laying in bed, and you're like, "Was that the Maria singing Hank? Well, what you got cooking?" Mm. And she'd pause again, and we're like, "Damn, woman, just finished the damn song already." And she'd belt out this big, huge. I was about cooking something up with, and I'm like, now thinking about that, if that's were to like happen again, I. Yo, run, just run. <laughs> Not even cool. That wouldn't be okay like that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So uh, as we get into our interview today, uh, thanks for not tuning in. It's not radio. Thanks for uh, <laughs> clicking yeah. and listening <laughs> in. And uh, make sure you listen to all the other interviews. We have all of season one available. Um, mm -hmm. available. And then our last interview as well. And so we'll continue on with our guest, uh, Natalia Sylvester. We are back. <laughs> so um, our author today is Natalia Sylvester, and um, she's become a, a dear friend and writing colleague. I never know what to like call my writing buddies. You know, it's like if I put them down as a reference or people ask, Bestie. I'm like colleague but we don't really like work together I don't really know kind of what this is um but she's she's become just a, a great friend and a great person to know we've done several readings together yeah and um and so uh, Natalia Sylvester was born in Lima Peru uh and she came to the U.S. at age four grew up in Florida and the Rio Grande Valley in Texas she received a BA in creative writing from the University of Miami is a faculty member of the low res MFA program at Regis University and now works as a freelance writer here in Texas. Her work has appeared in Bustle, Catapult, Electric Literature, Latina Magazine, and the Austin American Statesman. 
Her first novel, Chasing the Sun, was named the best debut book of 2014 by Latinidad. Her latest novel, Everyone Knows You Go Home, won an International Latino Book Award and has been named a best book of 2018 by Real Simple Magazine. She also has a very active Instagram presence, which you should follow her on because I'm always excited to follow her on Instagram and inspired by her fashion choices and her workouts. So (laughs) we live full lives as writers. It's not just about the writing. We are allowed to be beautiful and fit and all of those things. So she does all of that. She's an inspiration to me and many other other Latinas uh, all around and just women in general, I believe. So welcome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Um, So yeah, we usually ask our writers to just read a little excerpt from from their book, um, if you will, and then we'll just, you know, have a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm happy to. It's funny. I was just thinking... um, so we've done, I think we've done three events together now. <laughs> yeah. So there's this one part of me that's like, oh, poor Jasmine. She has to hear me read the same thing over again. <laughs> so block her, block her out. And you can like just read it to the bay. Yeah, I'll just, uh, yeah, I'll read the opening, uh, opening scene. So this is chapter one, November 2nd, 2012, the big day. They were married on the day of the dead and Dia de los Muertos which no one gave much thought to in all the months of planning until the bride's deceased father-in-law showed up in the car following the ceremony. He manifested behind the wheel, then stretched his arm over the back of the passenger seat as he turned to face Martin and Isabel. Beautiful ceremony, mijo, he said. The couple's smiles froze. It seemed to take an eternity for either of them to speak, and when they did, they had little more than mumbles. Her whole life, Isabel had heard stories about spirits who spent this one day of the year with family. As a child, she had built altars for her great-grandparents, vibrant tributes made out of open shoeboxes adorned with paper flowers and pictures of religious figures that looked a lot like the dioramas she'd created in grade school. In her teens, her family congregated around her great-aunt's grave to clean it. One year, her mother even brought a battery-operated vacuum for the stone. Today, we remember our dead, her mother always said. We honor them. Martin's father looked more frazzled than dead, as if he was running late because he had been caught in traffic. Isabel looked at her new husband for guidance and was shocked to realize he seemed annoyed. Not afraid, because honestly, her father-in-law looked harmless, just like in the few pictures she had seen of him. No, Martin looked like he had simply bitten into a pepper that was hotter than anticipated. Did you know this would happen, she said. No, but it's typical of him. Typical. Only someone so shameless would show up to a wedding uninvited. Martin, please. She hadn't expected him to be so rude. She hadn't expected any of this at all. But her instincts to remain polite and respect her elders were deeply ingrained. Even more than her assumptions about life and death, apparently. And so her efforts to understand the situation were quickly overridden by her desire to make everybody feel comfortable. It was the first time she had met her father-in-law. She smoothed her white dress, which was bulging into every inch of the seat, and straightened her veil over her shoulders. Aren't you going to introduce us? The old man sat quietly, waiting. I'm not talking to him, Martin said. Martin, you can't be serious. At this, her father-in-law smiled and leaned toward her through the small space that separated the front and back of the white Rolls Royce that they had rented. Oh, he is, I promise you. That kind of stubbornness runs deep in our blood. Isabel, I'm Omar, though I hope they've at least told you my name. Of course, she said, encantada. In ordinary circumstances, she would have leaned in to kiss him, hug him even, but these were not ordinary circumstances. She didn't know what laws governed the dead. Could they touch, feel, hold? Omar seemed as if he might shift the car out of park any moment now. Instead, he placed his hand over hers, and she felt not a solid touch, but a vibrant warmth, like gentle electricity. Her eyes lit up, but Martin scoffed and turned away. Omar, she said, letting his name empty her lungs. Will you be joining us for the reception? What a foolish thing to say. You're very kind to ask, Isabel. Thank you. He stepped out of the still open door of the car and began walking toward the church gardens. Neither Isabel nor Martin attempted to follow. She didn't know how, 
but she knew she wouldn't see him as she and Martin shared their first dance or cut their wedding cake. The whole evening, she didn't have to glance over her shoulder to see if her father-in-law had arrived. And because the last thing she wanted to do was upset her new husband, she acted like it never happened. But she couldn't fall asleep on their wedding night. The newlyweds made love distractedly, as if the act were nothing new, and of course for them it wasn't. They were not, by the church's standards, good Catholics. Before today, neither had been to Mass in years, and they had slept together on their third-and-a-half date and had used condoms and contraceptives and spermicide, sometimes all at once. If not new, though, she had imagined their wedding sex would feel different. Husband and wife joining their bodies. And for the first time, it wouldn't matter if someone heard them or walked in on them or if the condom broke in eight places. They were married now. They were together for life. Martin struggled with the perfectly round buttons that climbed, one impossibly close to the next, all the way up her spine. Isabel hadn't realized until her dress was undone how the corset had constricted her all evening. She had to take a moment to catch her breath, and the indentations that the boning left on her skin, now exposed, itched. When it was over and they entangled their bodies, the newlyweds stared at the ceiling. She sighed. That was wonderful, she had meant to say. But the words that came out instead were, what's wrong? Martin brought his hand to his forehead. I didn't know he was dead. Hmm. And it doesn't matter how many times I hear it. I'm always just like, ah. And I'm always like surprised by the the condom broke in eight places. And I'm always like, I'd like, I'd rather probably like, hey, what if, right? Like, um, that's true. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I just, the cleverness of that whole, like, scene, that whole moment there is, is nice. And just the honesty, I think, of, um, I guess I'm, I'm outing myself in this of, you know, if you've had premarital sex, right? Like thinking that like when you get married, it's suddenly going to be like this other different magical thing just because you've like made these vows or like, man, we were too tired. (laughs) The whole night talking, we didn't like engage. (laughs) We did not consummate the marriage till like three days later. So it was like, like entirely like we got in the room and we were like, yeah. And there was like crap all over the, the hotel bed because my bridesmaids had gotten ready in that room, that hotel room that we were going to like use that night. And my room, the DJ and, and the photographer ended up having to crash in that room with like two other people. So, so it, it was, was just, so we got to the hotel room and just like wiped everything off the bed. And, we're like, and we took oh. off each other's clothes yeah. and, and like, just lied there yeah, and talked. this is, I'm tired. <laughs> then we talked about everything that like went wrong with the wedding and then everything that like was, like, was great. Who was that lady at that other table? That anyway, stuff. it's not about us. So oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I think I love that honesty. <laughs> yeah. But just that scene, you know, just like that, that moment. And so, um, yeah, like I'm always fascinated cause I, I'm not yet, I am toying with it, but I'm not yet a fiction writer. And so I'm always interested in how fiction writers sort of create these worlds. And can you kind of tell us a little bit, I mean, I've heard some just in our readings of kind of the, the thoughts and the questions that, that led you to, to sort of creating this world and, and these, this story. Um, but can you kind of share a little bit of what that process was like for you or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think since we have some time, I'll share like the longer part of it. But um, I started this book in November of 2013 and I actually started writing it on November 1st. Mm. Um, and the reason that happened is because two days before, like my first novel had already sold and it was in production. And in the meantime, my agent had sent a, a novel that I'd written previously that hadn't sold to mm. my publisher in hopes that that would become my second book. And they had gotten back to us on October 30th and been like, meh. They were just not interested in it. And I had such like high hopes for that book and it didn't work out. And I was so like, I was just so down about it. And I, um, and I started thinking like, oh my God, so what? I have to write like a new book. And it just felt like this gargantuan (laughs) task. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I had kind of known from past experiences that the one way that I get through the hard parts of writing is just to keep writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I thought like, let me start let me see what my next book is going to be and let me think about it. And so my anniversary was coming up. The Other Los Muertos was coming up um, because I was, my husband and I were married on the Other Los Muertos. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And also NaNoWriMo was coming up. Right, yeah. <laughs> which is not anything I've ever done. And it's one of those things, like, like for example, I always um, equate it to running because I hate running. And I used to live in this apartment where there were all these, these marathons going on and I would just look out the window. <laughs> I mean, these are the wafers. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah, keep running. Exactly. I'm going <laughs> exactly. to like look at these crazy people. How nice for them, but I'm not doing that. Um, and so that's kind of how I'd always thought of NaNoWriMo. But I think this in this instant, I just used it as an excuse to just start something. Yeah. Um, and for those who don't know, <clears throat> NaNoWriMo oh, right. is writing, is the National Writing Month in mm. November and yeah. you have to write a certain amount of words every single day in the hopes, or like believing that you're going to create a novel, right? Like in a yeah. month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which at least for me, it's just, it doesn't happen. <laughs> well, it's even like, like April is poetry month and they want you to write a poem a day. And like that to me is like obnoxious. God. Like I can't. My I can't. hand just hurts thinking about it. Yeah, no. I, write haiku. I wrote haikus one year, but anyway. <laughs> I love that. I think I could try that. Yeah. Haiku every day. You handle a haiku a day, but yeah. Oh, no, but that's kind of what I did. I mean, like November 1st, I went to the library and I had, the, and I had this idea. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, I was really more interested in exploring the relationship that would develop over the years as Ahmad visits every anniversary. Um, but what I didn't know as, as I was writing it was that, um, he would not necessarily be welcomed by his own family mm. and that Isabel would be the only one who would speak to him. Um, so that was, that was kind of fun because I'm, I'm very much a writer and usually nothing makes it through in, um, previous drafts that I originally wrote. But mm. the first line of this book ended up being the first thing I wrote. And mm. the, this first scene is pretty like, I mean, yeah, you know, you tinker with things, but it was the first thing that um, that I wrote with this story, and I remember being surprised. And it, like, because my my first novel, Chasing the Sun, is is really a lot darker and heavier, and I mm. was kind of I felt really excited to suddenly have humor in this yeah, book. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It has a lot of that. So yeah. <laughs> I find it difficult to write, but that's yeah, yeah. I do too. Yeah, yeah. So, but that was all Omar. Like that was all his character, and mm. so. Um, and did you yeah. find yourself kind of like you said it it. Um, Right, like in revision, and I've, I've heard fiction writers say this before, that like the characters kind of like take a life of their own, right? Like they kind of just, things happen that you don't expect and they kind of, they lead, guide you, right? In a way, like is that, <laughs> like is it either? I mean, yes and no, but okay. at the same time, I kind of hate it when people say that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad like, you said that because I'm kind of like, what does that even mean? I don't. <laughs> like, I'm like, really? I don't know. I have to like pull my characters out of their like, mm comfort zone and just be like please talk to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but it, yeah I don't know I, I do it's work it's really work I'd like I um I try to have there's very, been very few instances where I feel like oh this just came to me mm. and 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 when it does it feels like the exception rather than the rule and mm. it feels like some crazy miracle but <laughs> I don't expect it to be that way every time yeah and, and actually I almost question it when it is because I I almost like to me, writing is so hard that I f feel like if it's not hard enough, I feel like maybe I'm not doing it right. Mm, like, mm. I'm, I'm, have I not put in the work? Yeah. And so yeah. I'll like make myself go deeper, deeper and, than, yeah. and go back and question it. Do you find the the like all the pieces that make up the book itself? Did did the book develop? In a real chronological, like, then this, mm. then this, then this. Yeah, because I know it's like, it, it goes, like, past, yeah. present, past, present. Because it, it right? keeps slipping through, like which slipping. is an awesome read. But did, did like, nuggets of mm. whatever the story becomes, like, occur at different points? Like, did yeah. you, like... You know, map it out, map it out. Like, like I'm always, I'm so yeah. you, like, like what did it look process. like, or mm -hmm. like I, yeah. just in writing other stuff too. Like sometimes I'll do laundry, and it's like, oh, maybe I should go with that. On the few mm -hmm. times I've actually written a fiction piece, so like writing a full on book scares the living shit out of me. <laughs> so like, what does that look like in terms of like putting putting all of that together? Like, yeah, no, it's still super scary. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, um, you know, in the first draft, I started writing it back in, in this back and forth way. So like the way you would see chapter one, then mm -hmm. I would switch to chapter two and another timeline. And it just didn't work because mm -hmm. I couldn't get deep enough into the story because mm -hmm. I was like, just pulling myself yeah, out of it, right, you know? Right. Um, so I, I ended up giving, like, you know, pretty much setting aside the present day story and then going back from the beginning of the 1980s timeline and just writing that story from the beginning to end. Mm. Um, and then mm. when I finished that, I wrote the present day story from beginning to end. Um, with the exception of a few, there was one point in the, I think in the past story where 
I, I got stuck like in the middle because the middle for me is so hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was listening to this podcast um, in which one of the writers suggested write, writing the last scene of a book mm. when you I feel stuck that. in the middle. Yeah, I've heard yeah. about that. Yeah, It worked really did well. It, work? oh, it okay. worked. It totally did. But but with yeah. this, yeah, I, I really, um, I only let, ended up like kind of weaving things in later. But yeah. And did you sort of like know the end already, like going in or did it just kind of? Yeah, like- I didn't. Okay. No, I, it, that was the That's cool scary. thing about, yeah. yeah, no, that was the cool thing about writing the end of the book because it was really more like write the ending you want to, to get to, mm-hmm. but, and it, it almost surprised me. Like I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't realize that was where I was hoping this would go. And so now I have to figure out how to get there. Yeah. Uh, and that was really cool. But, um, but then the, another thing I did with this book, cause I, I often journal, um, I don't always write right away on the computer. Sometimes yeah. when I get stuck, like I'll try all sorts of things. Like sometimes I'll try writing in Spanish first, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and then the, the other thing that I think, um, that I did a lot is I always carried like post-it notes everywhere. And so sometimes like a line would come to me mm-hmm. and I would just make sure to write it down because in, in the past I'm always like, Oh, I'll write that down. And right. then I and forget you it. Do. Like, what the hell was that? The <laughs> and then like an hour Batman. later, you're like, dang it. What was that, that great line that I had? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so like how many, like in a day, how many post notes did you uh, collect? I don't know. Probably not, not a huge amount, maybe just a few, but like over the course of the book, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I eventually had a whole table full of them. And so when I would be, when I would sit down to write, um, I would just look at the table and, and just see like, okay, which one is kind of speaking to me. And sometimes it would just be an image. Like mm-hmm. it wouldn't even be like a plot point. It'll, it would be, um, or even it, maybe it'd be a line of dialogue, something yeah. someone says, and I just pluck it and be like, okay, let's write this scene. Write the scene there. That's See where it goes. Dope. That's, that's good to awesome. know. I'm going to take, I'm taking all these notes. This is like <laughs> a mini like fiction workshop for me. I'm like, what does like, Natalia do? I'm going to do the thing. That's I try to write. Cause I, that's also one of those like translatable concepts yeah. between both fiction and poetry. Like, yeah. I was going to say, that's a very poetic like, thing to do. I feel like putting those, those pieces together yeah. is also like the poetry mind, like poetically, like yeah. how you can create just from a the single image or a dialogue mm. or a phrase or yeah. two, and then go from, there. Go from there. Um, yeah. so I think, Oh no, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, I think it's one thing that helps me um, to see my characters as like real people rather than as plot devices. Mm. So just to start from a place of like, oh, here's this random thing and that said once and I don't know where or how, but in what context, but let me explore that rather than sit down and be like, this is a scene where Ella goes through X, Y, Z and and it's more plot focused than it is just character focused. Mm. And I know you're really big on that. Um, a lot of that we've talked about in a lot of the readings that we've shared together is this idea of the humanity, right? Of, of our gente, of our people, of people of color, of the characters in your book, of yourself, this idea that we're not, um, don't see us just as human because we suffer and mm-hmm. because we go through tragedy, right? But because we live ordinary everyday lives and yeah. lived experiences, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Like why, I mean, I know why, mm-hmm. but why you're so passionate about not just the humanity based on our trauma, but the humanity mm-hmm. of like our joy and just our successes in our everyday lives. Right. right. No. Yeah. I think, um, because I think it's such an interesting thing, like thing that we assign to a writer when we say like, Oh, this book humanizes, mm-hmm. you know, immigrants or it humanizes, um, you know, like any marginalized person. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I just think it's really, it's a, it's a messed up thing to say that someone has the power to humanize you because by the same token, then you're saying that you've already given them the power to dehumanize mm-hmm. them and to not see them as, as human. Um, so I don't think that like, I mean, and, and as writers, I feel like we have like this immense privilege to tell stories. Um, but I don't see, I, I wouldn't, I would never assign myself that role of being like, I'm giving these characters their humanity because to me they're already human and that's how we should be seeing people period. Um, even without knowing fully their stories. Like if like this idea of when we talk about characters, whether they're likable, whether they're relatable, um, uh, you know, or, we, or even when we talk about right reading as an act of empathy, there's something interesting in that, um, like how much of someone's suffering do you need to know in order to care about them and to show them compassion? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we're setting up this weird precedent where we have to what, like someone before we will bother relating to them right, before right. we'll bother listening to them. And, mm-hmm. um, and when you look at even just like, well, whose voices got heard the most and whose voices are we giving, uh, a, you know, a platform to it's, it's always those who are in most, like most in power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, even just in, in, in like in the media, which stories get told, which stories get the most attention. Uh, 
and I, I'm, I've always been far more interested in like, well, who are we not hearing mm-hmm. and why? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the most important part. It's not like they don't have voices. It's just that we are not listening. Right. right. Um, so yeah. I kind of try to, um, approach the writing in that way of like, let's dismantle some of these structures and power, even in the way we tell stories, mm-hmm. you know, cause we talk about like, who's your main character? Who is the mm-hmm. one that has, that's most proactive. And, and so again, you're talking again about power. Who's mm. the person in the story that has the most power? And so are you assigning that story then to those who are, it just becomes this horrible cycle, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And I know um, when I, when this book was getting shopped around uh, when there was, there were a few editors who had said like, we really like this story. We want to publish it, but we think some of the more everyday scenes of these characters seem to slow down the pace of the novel. And can we get rid of them? And I, um, and I told my agent, I was like, that's so interesting because if this were written by a white man, then mm-hmm. those everyday scenes would just be considered these human, like universal scenes about the human condition. And I'm like, you know, they that, would even like probably get applauded. Be yeah. like, that, that's such a, a masterful scene of her washing the dishes. Like it was so beautifully well done. <laughs> and it was like, okay. Right. You know, like, yeah, I've seen that happen. Right. Like the way she hung the laundry mm-hmm. on, you know, outside and the, you know, blew in the wind, like people, like other writers get like, that's such a beautiful mm-hmm. moment. It's so human. And it's so, you know, like normal, you made the normal beautiful. And like, mm-hmm. then they're telling you like, oh, but it slows it down. It's too, yeah. like, and then we just get yeah. asked to perform our pain. Right. And, right. and to not, um, like as if that's the only thing that's worth seeing in Mm -hmm. our experiences. And Mm -hmm. so I don't, yeah, it's not something that, uh, I I think it's something that needs to be pushed back on. There's, um, and in looking at like what's highlighted and what isn't highlighted in terms of performing the pain pieces, but then also looking at like one of the things that I loved about the book, the, the, the snippets in the way language and the bilingualism within the language in the book were used. Like it's always like early on learning um, ways to structure how to be bilingual in work. I always was stuck with the idea of is my understanding of language and the way that I put it out there. Is it too regional? Is it too, like I know for a fact that as I'm writing Spanish into my work, none of it's academic. So it's like the la calle completely. But so as I'm reading the book, it like I was like, dude, like y la loca, blah blah blah, and I was like, that yes, I get that, that's dope. So do you at all struggle with those moments in which you're like, do I pick a piece? Do I, I figure out like which words am I going to switch in English or Spanish? Does something just come out and you're writing for like a page and then you've got to translate? So like how does how do you navigate mm-hmm. with, with the use of language and how does yeah. that work for uh, you? Usually it's been really um, mostly it, it's how I hear them. You know, because mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, the way we code switch, it's all like just there's certain words that just come out in yeah, Spanish right. yeah, and yeah, certain yeah, words exactly. that just come out in English. Yeah. And so that's how I hear them. Um, and especially and it's interesting that you bring up the academic thing because, I, you know, Spanish was my first language mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, came here when I was four. Um, you know, you go to, you, I learned English right away in kindergarten and then my whole education has been in English. Guess, yeah. Right. So there's definitely I have. um my mom and my dad were very adamant about my sister and I not forgetting our Spanish. And so, but I'm not as, um, I'm fluent in Spanish, of course. I but know what you're going to say. I know. <laughs> because I'm the same yeah. way. I'm the same way. It's like, if, if you go to an academic conference in yes. Spanish, you're kind of like, I don't know the word for decolonization. In like, or you yes. kind of do, but you get stuck and like, you can't. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it would be terrible. That, yeah. That was, yeah. So like that like, level of like, yes. you can't be as articulate, like in an academic, like, Right, you know, mm-hmm. like way as you are in English, because mm-hmm. your education is all in English, your you know degree is all in English. You write in English, and so yeah, yeah. But it <laughs> it goes both ways because there's certain things that only come out in Spanish, mm-hmm. and those are more things like for me, they end up being things that have to do with home and family right. and safety. Like every day, yeah, and yeah, and like everyday objects. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I remember the first time I tried to tell someone, like, can I please get like the cucharón? Like, what do you call that thing that you scoop the soup in? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like oh, a ladle, a ladle, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah just things like that and so I don't know I I, um yeah that's kind of how I you know the the really it's only because that's the way it's heard and um I know like my in my first book 
the Spanish was italicized, which mm-hmm. is something I still think about. I'm like, oh, I do too. How did I not know? <laughs> I feel like we share a lot of the yes! same experiences. <laughs> I should have pushed back more on that, and I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even yeah. like it was. Sadly, it's not even something that occurred to me. Yeah, because like, yeah. sometimes it takes someone like saying, "Hey, actually, we don't need to be doing this," in order for it to open your eyes and be like, "Oh my God, yeah, why were we doing that in the right, first right, place?" Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, I also find it. Just I want to because I, I do I want to mention this just because in, in reading your bio and then like knowing like your experiences I would think like you're from Lima Peru but then you spend time in Miami surrounded I'm sure by like Cubans and Caribbean people and then you ended up in the RGB like and so then like you're along the border and like that like Spanish so how have you like navigated those different like experiences of Latinidad of like mm. American culture versus you know like all of yeah. that like. How I don't know, like how has that influenced you in general, mm-hmm. and even in your yeah. writing, right? Yeah, so. I think um, for sure in my writing, uh, I, I think in, gosh, in so many different ways. Um, when I was little, like you know, once I I, I see it sometimes divided by uh, when I left home, right? Because mm-hmm. when I was living in my at home with my parents, it was very much attached to, um, to like my cultural identity was very much attached to Peru, right? Mm-hmm. And in ways that like you know my mom would always cook Peruvian food and mm-hmm. we would, um, like she would actually have friends, like we couldn't go back to Peru until we got our papers sorted out, but she would have friends who visited, send back textbooks. Mm-hmm. And so we would learn Peruvian history oh, wow. after school, which we hated at the time. <laughs> it was just sure. more work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but it, it, it was just like things like that. And so there was this like very deep sense of pride and, um, that I, I'm, I'm really grateful for because mm-hmm. even though I was experiencing a lot of othering, all like outside of the home, um, it it was at least something that I you couldn't like people like even when people othered me, it was like this is one thing you can't take away from mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when um, I think once I left Miami, which in some ways had felt like this bubble, this beautiful bubble <laughs> of like of safety, of real, of not feeling othered, um, of like even like for example in Miami when people ask where are you from it's a different question mm. than when people today ask me where I'm from. Like mm. when people ask me in Miami, it's more about connection. It's more like, mm. Oh, because your accent, like you have a right, Peruvian accent right. or, Oh, you're so so we're neighbors. And right. it's like this celebration, you know? Um, and so it, I think when I left, my, when I left Miami and I realized like, um, Oh gosh, like I, I'd never, f- I mean, in, in, this is such a complicated question. I'm sorry. I'm like <laughs> stumbling fine, over it. <laughs> Feel free to edit any of my bumblingness. Yeah. Um, because on the other hand too, in, in media and culture, you're still seeing yourself not represented. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. I think I had this like sense of like, Oh, this is home, but it's also not like, the like the reality of other places and mm-hmm. somehow that made it feel less valid like even like the first short stories I wrote were like about white people and this is like when I was like six or seven you know wow, yeah. um, because there's that sense of like oh they don't make stories about us they don't write them they don't make movies and stuff um when I went to the when I when we moved um to the valley it was also really interesting because suddenly I like everyone would just be like, Oh, so what part of Mexico are you from? Right. You know, (laughs) which I know you go through as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it was also, I don't know. I I feel like even though like my household and my family, we all like, obviously were very much um, connected to our Peruvian culture. When I started writing my first book, for example, like which is set entirely in Peru, like I actually felt very inadequately prepared Mm -hmm. to write that story because I hadn't lived in Peru at the time that my characters were. And it, and I realized like how much more I am kind of like my experience really is more, is, is just this mixture, right. Mm -hmm. Of it's not one or the other and it's, and it's, it's fully both, but it's still situated here. Like we still brought everything with us here. Um, and, and we, we ended up, we left. So there's things we missed and there's things that I'll never get back. Um, and so I, I don't know, I feel like lately, uh, I, I guess I'm. Tr- I, I write more. Like I feel more at home in ri- writing in that space and those complications that come mm-hmm. from having migrated and from um, from still feeling really deeply connected to um, to my birth country. But then also feeling like you know, there's times where I probably have more in common with someone who maybe isn't from the same country as I am. Mm-hmm. But like we are both Latinx people living here and navigating right, yeah. that. Right, right, right. Um, and so we'll have a lot 
in common there, even though we might have like different words for things. <laughs> Which yeah. happens. Yeah. We yeah. have that conversation too. We found out, we did this like a little mini, our own little like survey of like, what's the word for straw? I, that's the one. That's always the <laughs> one that no one agrees. So that was going to be my right. next question was for <laughs> you, um, in Peruvian Spanish, what is the word for straw? Cañita. Baja, or what do you call it? Calimete for you. I call it a calimete, which sounds uh, horribly like sorbete, offensive. Sorbete, sorbete is Puerto Rican or uh, Cuban. Yeah, they kind of share that. A popote for us. Popote, which I think is just like, wow. Okay. It's like attached yeah, to the like yeah. So, oh. And so, yeah, straw is like the one. Oh <laughs> no one. What do you call a kite, though? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I need to figure okay. I'm sure if someone were to say that, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. But I'd forgotten that word. So if anybody who yeah, is please. a Peruvian background <laughs> is listening to the podcast, please. you can message us uh, at Tintero Project and yeah. let us know what for, kite is. Yeah. For us, it's a papalote. Oh, I've heard cometa and we call it a chichigua. Oh, how cool. See, I think you want to talk think, about us. I think that's a, like a Taino word-ish or maybe mm. we just made it up. I don't know. <laughs> So anyway, so oh, language funny. is a funny thing, it. right? Even in like, yeah, we Spanish say uh, like, like, for example, um, we say torta for cake, which of course for Mexicans, it's and we don't a actually, sandwich. We don't use torta <laughs> at all, really. But yeah. for yeah. us, so like y'all say pastel for cake and for mm. us, pastel or pastelito is oh, like yeah. the fried like meat pastry thing. <laughs> fried meat pastry thing. Mm. Yeah. Like the like empanada. A, like an empanada. Oh, really? But we call it a pastelito. Oh. Um, we barely even eat empanada. <laughs> well, then it's also like, re, like, re, like, so that's another like the dissecting and the focusing mm -hmm. in, right? Like regionally, like there are certain phrases for certain things in parts of country that like further south and west and mm -hmm. Mexico in the state of Jalisco, like there are certain things that we don't right. reference that are Northern. Mm -hmm. And so like attaching to border spaces, like what does that look like even? Right. So consciously like looking at how you're writing, do you, have you, come across any of those speed bumps in terms of like how, how regional is the language that you use or how does, does being in either spaces like the, the Florida Gulf coast and mm -hmm. the Texas Gulf coast, like, does that, like, does that self-awareness pop up and yeah. does it mess oh, yeah. with the, with the way that you write or does it mess with your head to even, even get to that point to the writing? Yeah. Like, oh, I totally like, it's something I try to be really conscious of, you know? And, and it's, it's funny cause, um, when I was writing, like, uh, when I do write the Spanish, like I said, that's what, how it comes. But then there was the whole process of revision of saying, Hey, wait a second. Have I written this in a very Peruvian way? Mm. Um, and then trying to make sure like, yeah, like, cause I know like we have different words for things. We have different mm -hmm. ways of saying things and, you know, and, and, or even just the characters experiences, which are very different from mine. Right. You know, like mm -hmm. my family came here in a different way than my characters did. Uh, and so the thing, and, and I was, um, the the thing that to me felt I could speak like the the place I could speak from that was really why I wrote the book was just to capture this um the uncertainty of that journey like the anxiety of it like the constant not knowing mm. um the idea like the the ways that you can maybe try to do everything um quote unquote right and yet there are still those who are um who who hold more power who can abuse that power and who can you know, really completely set off that course of your life forever. Mm. Um, that felt something like really true and real to me and, and having, you know, grown up seeing that in my own family, seeing it and people in my community. Like, I mean, that was part of it too, that, um, you know, growing up, you know, both in Miami and being in the Valley, like people will share their stories. Like that's mm. part of what we do when we're in community. Right. And so, I was just always one of those kids who would just listen to everything. Like, you know, when like when you gather for dinner and all the adults are talking and all the kids just decide to leave yeah. and go play, like I would sit down and just listen to them. Uh, and so a lot of what I was trying to write from was really just, I feel like it was a mixture of all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And then for the places that I, the thing, the ex the experiences that I didn't know, like I I went and, and talked to people and asked them like, hey, would you want, you know, can I, can you share your experiences with me? And I, I come, I come from a journalism background. So at first that felt really natural. Like I'm just going to do interviews. And then as like, once I started doing them, I was like, this is very different from, um, interviewing someone and then writing a story in which you are writing their name and attributing their story to them. Um, and, and so actually for those like so-called interviews, I never even wrote anything down. I didn't even take notes or anything. It just, I just had conversations with people and tried to listen and just be like, and, and whatever would most, um, and then when I would write, it would just be like, 
hopefully that would inform, you know, my process. And hopefully the things that I most remember are the things that most, like, struck a chord, right? And and, and then I, I, like, none of the stories that are in this book are actually, like, literal translations or, you know, transcriptions right, right. of what oh. people shared with me. Like, I, I really just wanted to be like, well, there are people who shared their stories with me and those are their stories. And now here are characters who have their own stories to tell. And hopefully I can write that from a common place and a common, common emotional Experience. truth. But, yeah, emotional yeah, truth. Yeah, for but sure. Not, for like, sure. So that's kind of how I try to navigate that. Um, if that does that answer <laughs> yes, the question? Entirely. Yeah, entirely. No, that's entirely. great. And so that, that's a nice segue though, because um, I like, I want to be sure we have time for this because mm-hmm. I'm so excited. So you're first book was set in Lima, Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, your second one is sort of set along the border, right? And we've got these um, sort of Mexican family. Um, and so your third book, making <laughs> yeah. you a YA debut author, is about, please tell us a little yeah. more, whatever you oh can, gosh. I know. Because yes, I know no, the last to. time we spoke, we had, we had dinner after a reading and she's like, yeah, I have this YA book, but it's being shopped around, but I don't really like to talk about it because I don't know. And then it was like two weeks later, three weeks later, she's like on Facebook, like, it got picked up. I was like, oh, we can talk about it now. So, I know. <laughs> I'm so excited. Josh, you got a Thank sound you. Yeah, like, why is like, like, news yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a little sound. like bulletin. Yeah. Yeah. So please tell us more. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's funny because you're right. I think I have like the superstitious mm-hmm. element of like, well, if it hasn't happened yet, I shouldn't talk about it because yeah. it will never happen. Um, but no, it's uh, so I started working on this book actually shortly after um, this one. Everyone knows you go home sold in like July of 2016. Mm-hmm. And so I started working on this next book soon after. It's it's called Running and it's about a young girl. She's 15 years old. She lives in Miami. Her name is Mariana. And her father is a Cuban-American politician who's running for president. Um, and it's really about um, the ways that she kind of gets pulled into the... Um, you know, everything that's going on around the campaign and in, and in her school and in her environment. Um, and, and things happen through the course of the book that make her um, kind of wake up to realizing that maybe they have different opinions on things mm-hmm. and different ways of approaching things. And so what happens when you find yourself, um, you know, suddenly um, waking up to this idea that you want to... Um, speak up about things that maybe are not directly in line with your parents. Mm. Um, so that's kind of um, what the book is about. Mm. I have, I'm sure eventually I'll have a better, you know, think about, yeah. you know, it's, funny. it's one of those things, but it was definitely, um, so what sparked it was that around, you know, this, I started writing this in the middle of the campaign and mm. I was, I was having breakfast one day and um, there was a certain Miami politician who was giving his concession speech <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. okay. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I, he, um, his family was in the background and so, um, and among them was a, you know, young, you know, a young girl and, um, and there was something about her in her face that just reminded me of growing up and being a young teenager in Miami, um, in a place where you're often, uh, navigating your own self-worth, um, as in a way that's attached to that of your parents' status. Mm. and mm. and their their jobs and and oftentimes the, the the role of the man like i remember when i was very um when i first uh, came to the us and i you know started school in miami one of the things that people always ask is like well what does your father do <laughs> you know and so it's just i i wanted to really explore that and what does mm-hmm. that mean and so that's kind of what like felt really true to me and then um just this idea of uh, feeling uh, you know i i'm i'm kind of like embarrassed to say that i was not like as socially and even politically aware before everything happened, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, there, that's been a whole journey in and of itself. And I think, um, you know, Maddie in her own way has that awakening, but much earlier in her life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so notice, yeah. I feel like it's such a necessary book now in this time, right? Which I just want to punch people when they say that, but, um, but yeah, just, I mean, even because I feel like our, our young adults really are taking um, center stage and are like waking up more and being much more politically and socially active than I think maybe, um, I was able to, I'll mm-hmm. speak for myself, not anyone else at this table, but just because, you know, when I was growing up in early 2000s and late 90s, like social media wasn't a thing. So we didn't necessarily have a voice. Like we didn't feel like we could really be active in any way. And there wasn't necessarily, I, I know that there were issues that we should have been like out in the streets yeah. marching for, but it didn't feel as urgent, right? Necessarily mm-hmm. as maybe it does now. Um, 
And so I think that like having a book from this perspective and and like you said, like realizing that maybe, you know, your beliefs are different than your parents' beliefs who you're, you think, or you expect you're going to like always like look up to or emulate or like just follow their path. Like and saying like, no, like I'm, I'm my own person or I'm my own ideas or like questioning, right. Um, that authority, I think like so many teens do that and rebel against that for better or for worse or whatever. And to like explore that, I think is just like, it's so necessary. Um, and so awesome. And like, I'm so excited. Thank you. What was, so can you tell us a little bit? Um, mm-hmm. just like, how is a different writing sort of like this literary fiction, mm-hmm. like for adults versus like the YA novel, like what kind of mind frame or language even mm-hmm. did you have to kind of like realize or like come into, to be able to, to write that? Um, you know, it's funny because I started writing, like, I didn't write it thinking like, oh, this mm-hmm. is any particular um, category. Sure, sure. It was really just the voice. Like mm-hmm. I had this, and it's funny cause I remember it very clearly. <laughs> There's one morning I woke up and I was, you know, like you're still in sleep yeah. and, and I just started, and this never happens. Like I'm usually more of like a write on paper person, but I was just like, I started kind of going through this one scene in my head and it was really mostly voice driven. Um, and it was first person, which I never write, which was really challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just pulled out my, my, um, you know, my journal that was on my nightstand and just started writing it down and, and it kind of just took me by surprise. Um, and so I went with it and it's really like, it's just her and it just starts with like this image of a mango tree in the backyard. And, you know, cause like, it's just like, and so much of it has to do with the things that now that I no longer live in Miami, I can see that I took for granted. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, you don't, you mean that no, not everyone has lychees and <laughs> mangoes right, and right. bananas in their backyard. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't actually till I sent the first few, I think I maybe sent the first 30 pages or so to my agent and she was like, oh, you know, you're writing YA, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's cool. And, and the more, like, the more I realized that, like, I, I actually, at that point, then I stepped back because I wasn't, like I, I stepped back and wondered, that's true. Like, who am I writing this for? Mm-hmm, like who, mm-hmm. and like where, like when I think of who I was writing for, I think it's more the people like Maddie and the, and like her peers. And then mm-hmm. it's like, the story is not for the adults in the book. And it's, yeah. and if, yeah. if they, you know, if adult people read it, like adult people, words, but you know, it was just, I realized. And, and so it was kind of cool. Like, it really made me become a little more aware of, mm-hmm. um, when we're writing, like, who is it we're writing for and what are the gazes that we're um, assuming are already on there? Yeah. So I'm just, I'm also so excited because I'm such a fan of, of you and your work in general that I think, like, all teenage girls need to know who you oh. are. And so oh. I'm excited that they'll Thank be able you. to experience, like, your work. And so when does this book, when does this book debut drop? Uh, I think they, it's so far slated for spring 2020. I don't know when exactly, but um, it's, yeah. And who's the publisher? Uh, Clarion. Nice. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, one of the timeless you. qualities I think that like YA does is uh, very differently from like Jasmine's experience. So when I was in high school, like I can say for myself that there was a lot of political hoopla, but it was the nineties. And so mm. like, there was so much upheaval occurring that there was always something to like look for. You might not be able to figure out a protest, but like voting was like, on everybody's mind and so even teaching high school now and mm-hmm. working with the kids like so the that's going back to my class and be like hey this book comes out get it together you got to get it um <laughs> because that mindset like the conversations i remember having as a teen are the conversations that i'm hearing these kids have and so wow. I'm very much like okay whoosh, we're doing something right so <laughs> cool. yay for the book that's Thank awesome you. and there's that that timeless quality like i think that that's an enduring thing that that why is able to to put out there so Yay for the book! Then I feel like a lot more adults are really into YA as yeah. well lately. That's like, awesome. I don't know why, yes. but I feel like everyone's like devouring. Like the more oh people I, I talk to, they're just like, I love YA books, and I'm like, why have I not really gotten more into this genre myself? You know, like I don't know. I feel like it's it's accessible. It's like I feel like we all, regardless of how how old we get, we relate and remember those yeah. teen years, right? And like how formative they were. And but I think it's also soothing. I think it's like self care is yes. like yeah. being able to do that. It's for the same reason I think that like you have adults that will like bounce out and go watch a Disney film yeah. just because yeah. there's a warmth yeah. to the writing that that has a different take that that and it is refreshing yeah. to know that like YA is like selling because mm-hmm. then it's like there is hope for the children they are reading like yeah. <laughs> like okay they're reading books that's good yeah. you know so 
I will say, I think that probably in the first, in the last like three years or so, the majority of the books that I've most like loved and really that have just grabbed me have been YA. Yeah. And I think there's something to, I know, um, so the author, um, Lilian Rivera, she wrote um, The Education of Margot Sanchez. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that book so much. Um, but she, I went to one of her panels, I forget when, but she said something that I thought was really interesting and so true. She said that YA is always about firsts. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, your, it it's w- whether it's something as big as your first love or the first time you stand up to your parents or the, you know, like any big and small firsts. And I think like for me, what like to, to read things like that in which it reminds you of the amount of potential that each moment holds and that, um, and that life can hold. And we, we can forget that as adults, but when you're young, like every moment feels new and full of possibility. And, and, and they all feel like firsts. And I love that. That's dope. And with that. And with that. That's a good little wrap up to our mm-hmm. second long segment. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Inkwell uh, with our guest, Natalia Sylvester. We're going to take a break and. Be back with the lightning round. <laughs> and we're back to uh, the third part segment thing. Category? Third segment. Third lightning se- round questions. <laughs> like, third round. Uh, this is now the lightning round session uh, for the interview. Where this we is, ask you the hard questions. These, the, this is what like listeners will like scroll through the entire thing <laughs> just to, to get just to, to, these just to the, get these. So here are the rules for the lightning round. Okay. We will give you a series of 10 questions. You have 60 seconds to answer each question. question. Which I think is a long time. I would say 30, but then I don't want people seconds. freaking out and be like, oh, my God, there's not enough That's time. That's the point. It's like just whatever first comes to mind. Okay, well, you're now. We'll do 45 seconds. We'll compromise with you for this one. Yeah. 45, 45 seconds. That's not We're like not a really weird timing number. anything. No, it doesn't matter. I am timing it. I have my watch, my phone. <laughs> All right, here we go. Lightning round. Lightning round. Question one. <clears throat> if you did see the spirit of an in-law or any family mm-hmm. member, uh, what would be your first reaction upon hearing them say hello? <laughs> Okay, so totally my first thought was, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That was that's it. That's it. That that's it. Uh, question two. Um, click pens or pens with caps? Ooh, I'm going to have to say pens with caps, even though I am notorious for leaving my pens without caps. And then the ink just goes everywhere. <laughs> and Eric is always like, sweetie. That spot. <laughs> like, he's very like sweet about it, but I know there's like this one like um, comforter we have that has just like this blot, oh, no. and and it, I've noticed that every time we make the bed, it's on my side. <laughs> I was like, that's very passive aggressive, but it's cool. I deserve it. <laughs> I would be. I would be like, woman, what did you? Yeah. I like click pens. Anyway, uh, three. Uh, if you could describe magical realism as any animal. What animal would that be? Oh, or a combo of animals, maybe. That's cool. It's magic realism. That's true. Oh my god, what a great question! Um, I feel like this is gonna be boring, but it's like okay. So first thing that comes to mind, right? Uh, I think it'd be a bird. Hmm. Um, nice. Just because of the way it takes flight in ways you don't really know. Like if you ever watch a bird flying, and it's it's like it seems effortless, but it's so complex yeah and amazing mm. right mm. And, and and unreal for us because we can't possibly experience it and i think that's probably what magic realism does is makes this unreal stuff feel very much grounded too mm. um when writing hair up or down probably down because i write first thing in the morning and my hair's just like <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good can i get a question oh you're going to ask these? Well, I can ask well you did the interview. Too. I figured I would do the questions. Just, oh, because I, yes, I follow, I, I live vicariously. I don't actually do them myself. Top five workouts or exercises. Oh, okay. Kickboxing is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, in order of Oh, like it doesn't have to be in order. Oh. Just whatever. Top five. <laughs> in order of importance. <laughs> well, kickboxing is awesome because I punch out all my aggressions. Nice. I'm actually a really happy person, but man, when I get on there, I realize I'm like, I have all these angry catchers. Let's see. So that's one. I like, so, okay. I recently started using the Peloton app for spinning. Mm. Um, and there's this one instructor. She's like the only one I, I, um, 
I, so, you know, the Peloton bike is like this really expensive thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, I'm like, oh, I can't buy that. But they have an app, so you can just put, like put the little video on your phone mm. and follow them. Um, and so she's really awesome. And she kind of, she's like, um, her name's Robin. And I think she, um, she's hinted as such, so I don't know exactly, but I'm pretty sure she's, um, of Puerto Rican heritage. And, um, she's like, it's like if JLo were guiding you through a workout. <laughs> Shout out to Robin. Shout out to Robin. <laughs> I love her. So I've been, you know, uh, yeah. And then let's see. Um, I, I need to do yoga again. It's actually mm. really good for me and really good for my back, but I haven't done it as much. Um, I like to weight lift, uh, only because I didn't grow up feeling like a very strong person. Um, I was in and out of surgeries very often when I was little. And so a lot of my physical life was re- revolved around being told the things I could not do. Mm. Um, and so even just things like walking long distances and all that, it was just like, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Um, and it wasn't until I was probably in my late twenties that I was able to embrace like working out as self care rather than as, and it's not to say that I didn't work out when I was younger, but I would do like step videos and aerobic stuff and all this, but I did it more as like this internal, um, desire to and really more is just like beating myself up and being like my body needs to look a certain way I'm not skinny enough and blah 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 and so it wasn't really till I got older that um, a doctor told me he's like you need to be working out to protect your body and Mm -hmm. to protect your limbs because I have um, hip issues and so and and it gave it such new purpose Mm -hmm. and so that's why I love it so much Um, even and then like just weightlifting to me feels really um, it's just it's empowering in a very physical way and your fifth one Oh, stretching? No, that's boring. I don't know. Yeah, is there fine. five? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> dancing. Dancing. Yeah, dancing's great. That's it. Yeah. Uh, okay, six. Uh, Spotify or Pandora playlist name for writing? Mm. Gosh, I'm not really that fun. I don't re- listen to music when I yeah, write. Yeah, I can't. it's too distracting. Yeah, I think it's distracting too. <laughs> um, and yeah. then uh, Spotify or Pandora playlist for working out. Oh, I have several. <laughs> I have one called Go Go Go. I have one that's like um, that was actually just one I like that was already created, and I think it was like Latino workout. <laughs> so it's, it's really fun. Yes. It has like Shakira. yeah, yeah. Or, um, and also oh my gosh, why why can't I remember her name now? That uh, something K. What's her name? I love her so much. But anyways, just a lot of artists that like who I realize I've listened to all my life, not really knowing like more of their stuff. Oh my God. A lot of Pitbull. Like I think there should be a whole playlist of just Pitbull saying dale, dale, yes. dale for like 50 minutes. I'm glad I'm not, he's not, I'm not the only person who's like, he's my guilty pleasure. Like people always, I'm like, I really love Pitbull. And then I like, I lay out in shame, but I'm like, what? yes, I love Pitbull. Oh, and I, well, and then I saw his like E True Hollywood story one time and I was like, I, I really, okay. I respect you now. Cause the first I was yes. kind of like, eh, but then I saw his Hollywood and I was like, oh, this struggle is real. Yes. I love Pitbull. It's like, he's worked really hard. When did like, you see yes. e? We don't even have Cable. That was like years ago. <laughs> oh. years He's ago. super charming. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay. Um, okay. Oh, okay. So we're asking this because your husband's Cuban, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. And she lived some time in Miami. So next question. I could have done that. Oh, <laughs> I told you know her husband. What? Did we talk- <laughs> wow. Calm down. Okay. Uh, so really decisive question. Yes. Cuban food or Peruvian food? Oh my gosh. Okay. Can I do Peruvian food, but Cuban bread? And pastries because oh. they have that shit down. Oh, can I say that? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm so used to doing like radio uh, stuff. Fuck yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I'm like I will tell him all the time. I'm like, sweetie, y'all know your pastries and your bread. There's just no topping that. So. Is there a particular dish? Um. Peruvian wise. A Peruvian dish. I always go with lomo saltado at a restaurant. Like that'll be my my first being. Like that's how I test if they have like legit. <laughs> Let's food. Not that yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um. Okay. Longest distance traveled for a reading? Driving, though. Driving. Um, so this is a funny question. Uh, probably like to Dallas, three and a half. Oh, wait. Well, okay. Did I drive or did... Okay, here's, <laughs> Someone, this anybody. This is why it's, a big, it's kind like of a trick question. you're in the car and you're going. So well, we went to McAllen, to the valley. Um, and so that was probably the longest. But my husband drove because I am notorious for falling asleep after like two hours in the car. And then recently... Oh, so Jasmine. You are like Jasmine. <laughs> yeah, Jasmine. no, exactly. Jasmine, Jasmine and I are just like, like we're always on yeah, the same page. Yeah, <laughs> <Soul sisters. laughs> well, yeah, I can't do but more. But on my own, I drove to Dallas. I was so proud of myself. That's awesome. I know. That is awesome. 
Good job. Good job. I don't think she's she's not driven to Dallas by herself. Uh, no, nope. I, would, I probably would have taken like the Greyhound and be like, I'm not doing that. I should just put chauffeur on my bio. You should. Well, there's a whole chapter in my book about yeah. you driving. So that's um, cute. You know. uh, and then the number 10 question, and this is the hardest question. The Florida Gulf Coast or the Texas Gulf Coast? Texas, because I'm well, you know, I've like the beaches in Miami I've always gone to are not on the Gulf Coast, so mm. you know, although I do have good memories of going to the Florida Gulf Coast, but mostly I have much better memories of so when we lived in McAllen, um, you know, we were always every weekend we'd go to South Padre Island, and and then recently, you know, now we go to Galveston sometimes and everything. And I love that you can just drive onto the sand, yeah. Um, I don't have memories of being able to do that on the Florida Gulf Coast, although I'm sure there's places. Yeah, I'll like, yeah, I'll say the Texas Gulf Coast and then Miami beaches because it's not on the Gulf Coast, just the Atlantic. Yeah, so Atlantic. See, see, I can totally, this is totally like diplomatic <laughs> of me right now. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Perfect. That's Yay. great. That's awesome. So, this is great. So can you just tell us like anything that's coming up for you that you want the world to know about or where you're going to be next? And oh, I don't know where I'm going to be next. It's actually, great. I'm really excited <laughs> because since it's the end of the Downtown. year, I'm going to just take some down. I have to edit my next book. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm excited to just get back to the writing. And yeah. Well, then where can home. people find you online? Yeah. Uh, uh, my website is nataliasilvester.com and I am on Instagram and Twitter as Natalia Silv. I'm also on Facebook, but I don't use that. such yeah, an abandoned page. I feel yeah. bad, but yeah. yeah. So <laughs> folks, you've been listening to Inkwell, uh, our interview with Natalia Sylvester. Author of Everybody Knows You Go Home. You need to pick that book up now, yesterday, always, for Christmas, for your birthday, for your girlfriend, your mama. And then be ready for the new book, Running, yes, uh, out of Clarion out in 2020, Press in 2020. Hopefully. Also pick up Chasing the Sun, her first <laughs> <Thank> book. <you. laughs> yes, please support her work and always. And uh, that's it for our second episode. We... We'll have some more authors lined up very soon, so look forward to that. And uh, stay warm and eat plenty of soup. <laughs> Thank you guys. Till next time. Bye. Thank you. Laters. Thank you for listening to Inkwell, a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint in Houston, Texas, a city with a wellspring of literary activity. Inkwell is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Kristen Flack, Rich Levy, and Krupa Parikh of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Josh Walker with 150 Media House. Inkwell is made possible by a grant from the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information, visit imprinthouston.org or tinteroprojects.wordpress.com. For feedback on this and future episodes, email inkwell at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.